Welcome to All Together Now. This is Eleanor Lacane. This week, we had a major election in the United States with surprising results. And I had a particular personal experience I'd like to share with our listeners today about my work on the campaign in the state of New Hampshire to engage in a conversation around what happened in New Hampshire and why, I've invited my good friend, Sarah Wilson, Executive Director of Feminine Power, who I've known for years. Sarah Wilson has dedicated her life to women empowering women all over the globe. Sarah Wilson, welcome to All Together Now. Well, thanks, Eleanor. I am delighted beyond measure to be here and to be with you for the first time on your podcast that I have listened to and heard so much about from other women in our feminine power community. So thank you so much for the honor of being with you, especially this week when I know what you've been up to for the past few weeks and what you've been creating. And I'm delighted beyond measure too that you're gonna be sharing it with everyone today. Thanks, Sarah, I really appreciate that. And um, you know, it's uh, it was an amazing experience there in New Hampshire, and I'm eager to tell the story because so often people, it's like this big black box of what actually happens behind the scenes with an election. And I love sharing it with people because the more we can understand how it works, the more we realize that we can have an impact and we can influence the results of an election. So I'm happy to answer any questions you might have about New Hampshire. Well, I would love to ask you a bunch. And with you, Eleanor, the backstory is always juicy. So I can't wait for you to share more about that. But why did you go to New Hampshire? Well, I went to New Hampshire because I had worked for the feminist majority led by Ellie Smeal. Back in 2016, I was working hard to stop Donald Trump from becoming president help elect Hillary Clinton to be the president and help elect women to Congress in seven battleground states. One of the seven battleground states I worked in in 2016 was New Hampshire. And it was at that time that Maggie Hassan was the Democratic nominee for the United States Senate in New Hampshire. And I worked hard to get her elected and she won by just over a thousand votes. So Ellie Smeal felt that I had helped elect Maggie Hassan the first time to the US Senate. And it looked like the Maggie Hassan was in trouble and about to lose the Senate seat. And as you know, the Senate right now is 50 Republicans and 50 Democrats. So if the Democrats lost that seat in New Hampshire, they could have lost control of the whole Senate. So um, Ellie wanted me to go back up to if it's a close race, Eleanor, what you do on the ground in New Hampshire could save Maggie Hassan's Senate seat and thus keep the Senate in the control of the Democrats. So that's why I went to New Hampshire in the last month of the election. Well, it really sounds, Eleanor, as though you received a call for something that my personal opinion of it, as you shared it with me a few weeks ago, is very sacred. So there you went, you received that call, Ellie asked you to go and you went. And well, who are the candidates running in New Hampshire in that election there besides Maggie? Right, well, you know, Maggie was running for the Senate against a Brigadier General named Don Bolduck, who was 
very much a Trumpian election denier. Um, and then there are two House seats, federal House seats in New Hampshire. One was Chris Pappas, and he is an incumbent member of the House. He was running against a 25-year-old Republican woman who's also a Trumpian. She was an intern in the Trump White House and another election denier, another extremist. And then also the second U.S. House seat was Annie Custer, who was an incumbent and fairly popular. So I wasn't too worried about Annie Custer, but she also was running against an extremist election denier. So there were three seats at risk in New Hampshire if it were a big red tide that all three of them could have gone down. My goodness. It sounds like the challenge was beyond what I initially heard you talking about because of the complexity of all of the races involved. So what was your approach to winning? And were you working on all three of these or just Maggie's or how did you focus your attention there? Yes, so the Maggie Hassan Senate seat was the top priority because that one seat could have determined which way the Senate goes. We also secondarily wanted to save the two House seats. So they were important. So I worked on all three. And the advantage, as you know, with the Senate seat, it covers the entire state. And the House seat each had half the state. So wherever I was, I could work for Maggie Hassan for the Senate and then focus on that congressional district for that House seat. So I worked on um, all three of those races. And it was great to have three wonderful candidates to support. And I was uh, eager to help make a difference in this election, given how high the stakes were and the dangers if these particular Republicans got in. I actually think it's good to have two parties. It's good to have solid Democrats and Republicans. But I'm very worried about these extremist election deniers, mega Republicans who are just not connected to reality and pushing these conspiracy ideas that there was election fraud when there is zero, no evidence of any fraud. What a challenge. What an incredible challenge. And can you say more about your strategies that you employed and thought up and used with all your creativity and experience when you got there, what happened? Yeah, well, I uh, landed in New Hampshire with this mission to save these three seats and nothing on the ground to walk into. So I had to create it all. And my approach was to focus on the college campuses. The reason being is that the younger people tended to vote Democratic. And there are 160,000 students in colleges on campuses in New Hampshire. So I thought it would be a great opportunity to go to the campuses, hire the students on the campus to mobilize their fellow students to make sure they knew there is an election, they know what the stakes are, they knew who their candidates are, and get the students organizing other students. So I prioritize kind of the key college campuses that I wanted to work on. And I set about connecting with them in any way that I could. I literally was calling friends across New Hampshire, across Massachusetts, really across the country. I had one friend in Colorado who knew someone who was a faculty member 
in a New Hampshire college and introduced me to say, hey, do you know any students who are politically oriented who would be good at doing some campus organizing? <laughs> so I was going kind of night and day with my wonderful network of wonderful friends to identify students to recruit and hire and train and get on the field. Wow, really creative, Eleanor. And I love the connections and how you nurture them. Brilliant. So, well, what activities did those students do then once you found them? Well, once I found them, then I would uh, explain to them the stakes of the election. I had flyers prepared that Ellie Smeal with Feminist Majority had produced uh, just saying, here are the candidates, here's where they stand, here's where the other candidates stand, and why we favored these three candidates for office and encouraging them to, to vote and to vote for these three candidates. And uh, so train them and then flyering, which I had kind of taken for granted, but there were actually several students who had never flyered and they were kind of shy. So I actually ended up having to write like a guide to campus organizing, which included tips on how you flyer in an effective way. Because, you know, a lot of students, I was flyering myself to you know, I, I really believe as a principle of leadership, you shouldn't ever ask someone to do something that you haven't done or are willing to do yourself. So I was on the field myself in uh, many of these campuses. And I noticed a lot of the students would be wearing their earbuds and they'd be looking at their cell phone. So it was harder than ever before to kind of get their attention, <laughs> but just how to politely engage them going, hey, how you doing? And you literally would have like 10 seconds to connect with them, tell them what you were there for and ask them, you know, remind them the election was Tuesday and ask them to vote for the candidates you wanted to support and hand them the flyer. So that I trained them on how to do that and walk them through and, and that's what we did. And I ended up with a team of five people on the University of New Hampshire, Durham, which is the largest campus with 15,000 students. Wow. I figured we could win the election just on the University of New Hampshire, Durham campus. So I, I really- love this. It's so exciting. We could <laughs> win it on just one campus. And right. what a focus. And what leadership that you showed to teach them about flyering, which is a verb I've never heard before. Right. I love it. So I've learned a lot here today, just listening to you with all of this. And now drum roll, what happened on election day? Well, on election day, unfortunately, we went from like 70 degree and balmy weather to in drop 30 degrees in temperatures, freezing when I went to the polls in the morning. And it was in the 40s with 20 mile per hour winds. It was wicked cold out there. But um, I was out there for like 10 hours with the students doing the flaring, saying, hey, we got rides to the polls. Here's where you get them. And here's some coffee and donuts. And um, we just like, I think we were so good. We partnered, by the way, with other groups, which were interested also in saving those three seats. So the partners and I coordinated on who would do what on election day on the University of New Hampshire campus. So I think we had such a powerful ground operation at the University of New Hampshire. I believe that any student who stepped foot on the campus that day was asked at least once, 
have you voted today? And would you like a ride to the poll? And here are uh, three candidates that are good to vote for. And if not, you know, multiple times, at least once, we really had excellent coverage. And I am delighted to report the good news that we won all three of those uh, seats, that Maggie Hassan won the Senate seat, Chris Pappas and Annie Custer won the House seat. So we were three for three in New Hampshire. <laughs> this is something to celebrate. We are celebrating this. It's amazing. You won three for three. Eleanor, incredible skills that you showed. And I think you were, if I may take a turn here at Inventing a Verb, you were coalitioning. You were coalitioning as yeah. you were building these relationships and bringing these people together. So it's that inspired leadership that you brought and the inspired strategies and knowing where the battle, the point on the battleground most mattered was at that university and those students and what happened there. I'm really touched and impressed with how you focused and led this on this mission that you accepted and chose with Ellie's invitation. So how did you feel when you heard the results of the election? I was ecstatic. I was so happy because I didn't know what was going to happen. When I first went to New Hampshire, the Senate seat um, with Maggie Hassan, she was ahead by 11 points, and then it was eight points, and then it was five, and then it was three, and then it was neck and neck, and then she was behind. So the what polls, they're never exact, but what they do show is momentum, and her momentum was definitely down. So I did not know until 1030 that night that, that Maggie Hassan had won that Senate seat, and uh, that Chris Pappas and Annie Custer had won re-election. I was just so ecstatic, so happy. I felt if we could hold that Senate seat, we could hold the Senate, which in fact is what has happened, that uh, the Democrats have won 50 of the seats and they may win another one, depending on how the runoff in Georgia goes. We may have 51 Senate seats, but at least with the 50, then we have the vice president becomes the tiebreaker who is Kamala Harris now with President Joe Biden. So she is becomes the tiebreaker if we need that 51st vote in the Senate. So I was so happy and I was so grateful, grateful for the opportunity to serve my country. There was no place I would have rather been than on the battlefield, working for people who are honest, hardworking for the people and to keep out the election deniers, mega Republicans, who are, I think, a real danger to our republic, and that we beat back three of them on the turf that I was defending. And I know that what we did made a difference. Uh, when polls are tied like that, you know, I think the polls were probably correct that it was tied for Maggie Hassan and Chris Pappas, but a good ground game, a good election day operation can get a candidate up to eight percentage points in voting. And that is exactly the margin that Chris Pappas and Maggie Hassan won by that 8%. And I believe that we made a significant contribution to the ground game that put them over the top. So I was absolutely ecstatic and relieved that the troublemakers were not gonna be put in a position of power to wreak havoc with our country. 
And I'm just letting that land on the listeners. So, Eleanor, well done. I'm thinking of a biblical passage. Well done, thou good and faithful servant. And that's really the role that you took on. I'm so honored to be here and ask you this next question. What message do you have for listeners? Well, listeners, I would say, please know that your vote really matters. I ran into so many people who said, oh, well, you know, my vote doesn't matter. What difference does it make? So no, your vote matters. So many of these races have been so close all across the country and just one vote a precinct can determine the outcome. So your vote really matters. And the election matters. The difference between having Maggie Hassan, who's a sensible, moderate Democrat in the Senate versus having an election denier who follows QAnon and a conspiracy theorist who supported the January 6th effort to overthrow the duly elected president. The difference in having them in office is absolutely critical to keeping the American dream alive, to keeping the American Republic alive, to keeping democracy in the United States alive. And that depends on you, the voter, we, the people, to be informed and to go out and vote on election day and have your voice and your vote counted to decide who is gonna uh, make our decisions and represent us in the government. And remember, the American Revolution was fought not just to get rid of King George. The American Revolution was fought to get rid of the whole idea of kings and to replace the governing power into the hands of we the people. And the whole foundation of the United States government is on us, on we the people. All authority, all power flows from we the people. And we must take that responsibility seriously, educate ourselves about who's running and get ourselves to vote in every election that happens. And when we do that, good things happen and the American Republic will thrive and the American dream can continue for the next generation. So I'm so moved by what you've just said. So deeply moved by that. And I agree with you on all points that you just brought forward and particularly around how important a vote is in this country. Claire Zamet, the founder of Feminine Power, once shared with me, she was born and brought up outside Sydney, Australia, that in Australia, it is a misdemeanor to not vote. It's so important over there and they hold and and um, while they have the head of the English royal family as their person, you know, was the queen and now it'll be King Charles on their currency. Mm-hmm. They're very much an independent country with independent thought and just like many of us in America are. And so kudos to you, Eleanor, for your dedication as a true servant of the people and your vision for what America can be an America that works for everyone and also what you've given of your time, your effort, your energy 
in this cause for what you've brought in New Hampshire and what you have brought there for so many of us who have been watching this so closely. And just saying as well, if I may add a little bit more about you, is that one of the things I've loved about you in all these years that I've known you is your willingness to educate people about what's happening in this country, what's happening, where we are going and could go in terms of policy in an America that could work for everyone and where we have, where we go when we get off course. And right now, this is an America where so many of us believe that there is a new way forward, that there is a way where we can all work together. And this is what you stand for. And I'm just kind of telling people what you've told me because I've been so blessed to have had conversations with you offline about this, but your leadership and your insight and what you've brought here is not just to me winning an election. It's not just inspiring people that their vote matters. It's standing for what can happen with new dialogue going forward. And that is what your podcast is all about. Thank you so much, Sarah. Really appreciate all of that. Very heartfelt thank you and gratitude. And thank you listeners for listening all together now. Uh, please stay tuned for our next guest.